Good morning, everybody. Great minds do think alike because I was going to talk about, um, yeah, my, my summer tithing challenge with you um, and just rem- remembering that I kind of threw that down for those of you that are just looking for a way to trust the Lord in your finances and trust the Lord in something in your life. And how many of you know that sometimes the hardest things to surrender to God become the most fruitful part of your life? Sometimes that just happens. And sometimes the hardest thing for us to surrender is our finances and just say, Lord, uh, I'm gonna give this to you and I'm gonna believe you for it. And so like Kate said, yeah, if you've got a great story, we'd love to hear that. So uh, get back in touch with us and email us and uh, just let us know if the Lord's been doing some great and faithful things in your finances. Well, we've been asking one big question all year. What is it? All right, we know it. Great. We're halfway through and we know it, right? What is it? Right. Do I trust God? And we've just spent all summer talking about Joseph and Joseph's life and how Joseph trusted God. And we've been talking about our kind of our theme verse has been Proverbs chapter three, five, and six that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you the path to take. We're just reminded that in our lives today, so much of our lives require us to just say yes to Jesus every day, to just trust him and step out and say, Holy Spirit, would you lead me? Would you guide me today? I'm giving my life to you. I'm trusting you in every single area of my life. And so we've been talking about all these different areas of our life that we're trusting God in. And as we looked at the life of Joseph this summer, he, he models what it means to learn to trust in God in all circumstances. Joseph's life story is, is also an important piece to what I want to talk about today. When you look at the salvation that we have through Jesus on the cross, you have to look back and notice that Joseph is a piece of that puzzle that he's a person in that timeline that helped the family of God, the people that Jesus' lineage would come from. He helped that family make it through a very difficult season. And how many of you know that there are certain generations of a family that make it through a tough season and they help us come to understand who Jesus is more? Maybe you had a grandparent or a grandfather that really helped you come to know Jesus and, and his generation helped that in your family. Well, Joseph is like that in the family and and in the family of God. And as you read the Old Testament and get to the New Testament, you understand that the work that God did in Joseph was extraordinary because it saved the family that God had chosen for the Messiah to be born into. It modeled the power of forgiveness that restored a family and that has become the foundation of what it means and a standard for God's people that we are people that forgive. And lastly, Joseph's life really teaches us that trust in God in the worst of times leads to fruitfulness in the best of times. But I was thinking about this and what I was going to talk about this morning, and I began to wonder if you have ever thought about yourself. Have you ever thought that the work that God is doing in you could be used to help save others in your family? That there are people in your family that don't know Jesus, maybe a brother, a sister, a cousin, a nephew, an aunt, crazy Uncle Ed. But it's true. 
your story, your life, your experiences, the work the Holy Spirit has done in your life, the healing God has done in you, the messes that you've been in and that God's helped you out of, the changes that have happened in your thinking and in your actions, the different lifestyle that you live now to honor Jesus are all part of your story. They're all part of your story of faith. They're all part of the story of how you trust in God for your salvation every day. And that helps others believe in Jesus too. I want to talk about something very important today. And the concept that I want to talk about, we're going to find in John chapter 3. So if you have your Bible with you or you have your phone or your tablet, however you're reading God's word, you can head to John chapter 3. But a concept that I believe is very important for us, we need to learn how to grasp it well. And we need to trust that God knows what he's doing in the middle of this is that we must trust that God has a plan to save the world. We have to trust that God has a plan to save the world. Now, how many of you believe that the world needs saving? Right? I know I do. I need saving. You need saving. The world needs saving. The people of our world need saving. I needed saving because I was disobedient to God's plan for this planet and for my personal life. And so I'm so glad that I chose Jesus. But the things that we're seeing all around us are pointing out over and over again that God has a plan to save the world. The chaos that's infiltrated every people group that we can see is our way of trying to live without creator God. We need a savior and that is apparent. Now, Jesus talked about this in one of the most unique stories in all of the New Testament in John chapter three. It's a moment where Jesus has a one-on-one -on -one with a man named Nicodemus. It's just Jesus and Nicodemus. And here's what's interesting. They're talking about God's plan for salvation. They're talking about how God wants to save the world. And he, they're talking about how God wants to have a personal relationship with every single one of us. Now here's what's interesting. Nicodemus is a religious leader. You would think he'd have all this figured out, but he doesn't have it figured out. In fact, he goes and talks to Jesus in the middle of the night because he doesn't want anyone to see him. He probably doesn't want people to know he doesn't have it figured out, but he also is searching. He realizes now in his life, I've been studying the Old Testament every day of my life. I have most of the Old Testament memorized and I still feel like I don't have a personal relationship with the God that I can teach about. But this guy, Jesus, certainly is, it's very apparent that he has a personal relationship with the God that I teach about. And I need to figure out how he did that. So Nicodemus goes to talk to Jesus in the, middle of his, in the middle of the night. Now, I'd like to say, if you're searching today, you're hearing my voice right now. Maybe you're online, maybe you're in the room and you're hearing me this morning and maybe you're spiritually unresolved. I'm glad you're here because the things we're gonna talk about today are pretty simple, but they help us all understand that God has a plan for each of us to have a personal relationship with him. Well, let's look at this conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus in John chapter three, and let me pray, and then we'll jump in. 
Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that it touches our heart deeply. Thank you that it changes us and molds us and shapes us and helps us think correctly and live for you. We pray that these things that we look at this morning would help do that in particular. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, John chapter three, verse one, we'll go through verse 21, and I'm gonna read it from the New Living Translation this morning. It says, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Now I'm going to stop along the way and point out a couple things and then we'll keep studying as we go. But I want to point out this interesting phrase that Nicodemus says about Jesus. He says, your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. See, the miracles that Jesus performed are proof that he is who he said he was. That he is the savior of the world who takes away the sin of the world. And, but what I wanted to say about that, that I think is very, very important for us today, is to not lose sight of the fact that Jesus still does miracles today. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13 says. And if at any point we lose sight of the fact that Jesus can do miracles today, then there is a part of our belief system, of our faith system, of our trust in God that will be diminished. And so I want to encourage us as a church and as a people to continue to believe that Jesus can do miracles today because it helps us believe and it helps others believe as well. Verse three, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back in his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. And you'll notice spirit is capitalized because he's referring to the Holy Spirit. Verse six, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Now, before we continue, I want us to catch something that is extremely important in this little section. Because there's a profound statement that Jesus made here, and I don't want us to just miss it. The statement that Jesus makes is this, that a person's spiritual birth is more important than their physical birth. All of us are born spirit physically. We're born of water. But not all of the world is, born, is reborn spiritually or has been born again spiritually. And Jesus is going to begin to talk about that concept with Nicodemus, that each of us needs to be born again, that we need to be born again spiritually, that we need to allow the saving work of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ to be a part of our life so that heaven becomes our home. Now, Nicodemus is still 
a little confused about this. So in verse 9, he says, how are these things possible? Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Now, Jesus says a couple interesting things. He says, if you're going to understand this spiritual life that I want to give you, you're going to need to also understand some physical things that God has put in place in the world. And if you're having a trouble recognizing basic physical things that has happened in the world and that God has created, it's going to make the spiritual things that you need to know and understand very difficult for you. Is anybody frustrated by why people right now today are having trouble understanding Jesus spiritually? Maybe it's because we've ignored the basic, the very most basic physical principles of our world and we don't understand them because we'd want to live our own way instead of the correct way. And it's making the spiritual principles of who Jesus are hard for us to understand because we've ignored the most basic things about life, family, gender, sexuality, how things work in the universe. Because we're ignoring all those physical things, Jesus says, it makes it really difficult to understand spiritual things. Then Jesus said, I want you to know that nobody's gone to heaven and come back to tell you about these things, but I've left heaven to come here to tell you about them. And then the third thing that Jesus does that is very helpful is he, he, makes, uh, he uses an illustration that Nicodemus would easily understand as a student of the Old Testament. He uses a story that Nicodemus would know very well to help bridge the gap to this spiritual understanding that Nicodemus needs to have. And so Jesus tells a story in verse 14 about how Moses lifted up a bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness and the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Now what Jesus is doing here is he's helping Nicodemus understand what's going to happen in the future by using a past story. He's using the story in Numbers chapter 21 that the Israelite people had in the desert. Let me just tell you the story quickly so you can understand the correlation that Jesus is making for Nicodemus. There was a moment in Numbers chapter 21, the Israelites were in the middle of the desert between Egypt and the promised land, and they began to grumble. They began to complain. I know you don't understand that because you are not like the Israelite people. You probably never grumble and you never complain about anything. So that's a hard concept for you to even understand, but just bear with me that in the past, there have been people that were grumblers and complainers, unlike yourself. The Israelites begin to grumble. We don't have enough food. We don't have enough water. God's deserted us. Where is he? On and on and on. Have you ever gotten in that stage where everything, you just complain about everything? Like, 
I have. Okay, I'll raise my hand for me and all of us. So because the people were just complaining about everything that God had done and God had rescued them and taking them to the promised land, and they're just complaining and whining. And, and I think like every, every good dad at some point just gets tired of their kids whining constantly. And so God, in his omnipotence, sends venomous snakes among his children to bite them so they will die. <laughs> to help them understand that grumbling and complaining is really a bad thing. But here's what's interesting. God, God tells Moses very quickly into this moment, make a bronze snake, put it on a pole, and whoever is bit by a snake, when they look at the snake, they will be healed and they won't die. So here's this story from the Old Testament that Nicodemus knows very well. Oh yeah, I know that story. I've told it a hundred times. It's a great story about how God heals and saves and rescues his people. And Jesus says, that's exactly what I'm gonna do. That's exactly why I'm here. I'm gonna be raised up on a cross and it will be just like the snake on the pole. I will die for all of mankind so that you can be healed, so that Israel can be saved. And there would have been, it would have taken Nicodemus no time flat to instantly make the correlation. Jesus is here to save the world. Just like God saved us then, God is saving us now through Jesus. This is amazing. I'm talking to the savior of the world, the Messiah, the chosen one. He's in my presence and I'm having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the Messiah. Jesus goes on and he lays out God's plan to save the world for Nicodemus. And it starts in our most popular verse, right? John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants." Now, God gives a pretty simple plan here that you and I are called to trust. And it's basically this. This is God's plan to save the world. God is sending and people are believing. God is sending and we are believing. Now, let's flush this out a little bit deeper. The first piece to God's plan is that God is sending. I call this God's part. This is what God has done. The first part of our saving work, of our salvation, of God saving the world, 
is God sending. Now, in particular, God sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to be the Messiah. And in Jesus Christ, we know this story. We understand it's Christmas and Easter all wrapped into one, right? That's Jesus. And that's the story that God tells that in sending Christ helps us understand this work of salvation. So let me remind you of the story of Jesus. Remember God told a virgin named Mary that she would be conceived by the Holy Spirit she would have a son and she should name him Jesus. Around the time that Mary was to conceive, uh, Mary and Joseph were forced to move to Bethlehem to be counted in Caesar's census by the Roman Empire. And this was also to fulfill the prophecy that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. The angels announced his birth to shepherds. The shepherds ran into Bethlehem to see baby Jesus. And then they ran everywhere in town telling whoever would listen that the king of kings had been born. When Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple eight days later to circumcise him, they were greeted by two strangers. The first one was Simeon, who announced to them that he had been waiting his entire life to see the person with his own eyes that would rescue Israel and that the baby in Mary's arms was that person. Right after Simeon's done talking, Anna walks up to Mary and Joseph and, and prophesies that the baby in Mary's arms is going to re rescue Israel and will be the redemption of all mankind. About two years later, they get a knock on the door and some wise men show up and they're bearing gifts, very expensive gifts. They've traveled a great distance. They've come a long way because they've studied the stars and they believed that the king of all kings, no king greater than any other king in all of human history or to come has been born and they must lay their eyes on him. And here they are at his door. All these things happen at Jesus' birth to proclaim that he has been sent and that he is the savior of the world. Jesus grows and about age 30, he begins to start teaching and disciple recruiting. For three years, he heals the sick, opens the eyes of the blind, casts out demons, raises the dead, teaches his followers the true meaning of the Old Testament from God's word. Everything he does and that he says, he is done because God has sent him to rescue the world. When Jesus is around 33, he's arrested He's falsely accused, he's spit on, he's punched, he's mocked, he's flogged, and he's crucified by the Romans to pay the penalty for our sin, which we needed a blood sacrifice. But the story doesn't end there. Three days later, Jesus comes back to life, proving that death has no power over him and to show that those who would believe in him would not experience spiritual death, but would have everlasting life. This is why Jesus was sent. He came to save the world. So the first person that we see throughout scripture, our savior, our Lord, our king is Jesus. He's the first one who was sent to help you and I understand salvation. But it doesn't end there because God is still in the sending business. You know who God sends now? You, 
Me? Us? We're it now. God is sending us. And all throughout Scripture, we find this everywhere. <coughs> In Matthew 9, 38, Jesus said, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Matthew 4.19, which is the verse that our church is built upon. It's our discipleship format. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. In 2 Corinthians 5.16-21, the Apostle Paul lays a picture of this for us as well. He says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here's what we discover in all these verses. The followers of Jesus have the ministry and the message of reconciliation. See, God sent Jesus and Jesus sends us. This is coming full circle now. God sends Jesus and Jesus is sending us to be those that help the world be reconciled to God. So the first piece of God's plan is God sending. God sending Jesus. God sending us. The second piece to God's plan is people believing. Now this is our part. God's part is the cross, the resurrection, the power behind the gospel. That's all God's part, right? Our part is believing. Believing and trusting that what God has done is right and correct and that that's exactly what we need for our life. That's our part, people believing. See, believing is the foundation of trusting in God. When we say, I trust God, it's because we believe in him. We're living for him. Now, believing is huge. It's gigantic. It's, it's our faith, it's our trust. It's everything that we are. It's the foundation of our life. It's extremely important for our lives today, but also for our eternity. Now, I want to show you something just for a minute that is really essential to this idea of believing. And we find it in John 3, 16 through 18. Let me go back and read it. And then I want to talk through it just for a minute because this this is so important for us to understand about the saving work of God and how he's laid out his plan of salvation for the world. So verse 16, for this is how God loved the world. 
He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. Now here's what I want to point out about believing and the power of believing. Because you've probably heard somebody say this. I've heard it hundreds of times from people's lips throughout my ministry. I could never serve a God that sends people to an eternity in hell. Did anybody hear in the three verses anywhere where it said God is sending people to hell? No. Why? Because that's actually not a biblical truth. God does not send you to heaven. Did you know that? Did you know that God does not send you to heaven? God does not send people to hell. Heaven is open. It's wide open. Why? Because of the cross. Because of the resurrection. Heaven's not closed. And when you get there somehow, they see Jesus in you. And so now it's open. It's always open. Why? Because there's no more judgment. Judgment's off the table. So what's the challenge then? Who, who's responsible for getting me to heaven or to hell? Anybody know? It's me. God doesn't send me to heaven and he doesn't send me to hell. The onus is on me. Why is the onus on me? Because the verse is very clear, right? It's very clear. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish. Because God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, there's no judgment against anyone who believes in him. God's not sending anyone anywhere. God's letting you and me choose. By the way, God has just restored what he did at creation. He creates an entire garden for mankind. The garden is completely open to us. Nothing is closed. We can eat anything we want, but God says, I just, I just need to tell you one thing. In order to understand if you're choosing me, don't eat of that tree. Was there something special about that tree? No. It was just the choice. It was, I, I need to know if you believe in me and if you want relationship with me. Now the same is true. Heaven's wide open. Hell's wide open. And you get to go wherever you believe you want to go. If you believe in Jesus, heaven's open to you. If you don't believe in Jesus, heaven's not open to you. It's just that simple. And if you think about it throughout your lifetime, God's just giving you what you chose. My entire lifetime, I said, I don't want Jesus in my life. Okay, I'll let you have that for eternity. You didn't want me now. You don't have, I'm not gonna force you to serve me for all of eternity. I'm letting you choose because I'm giving you free will. That's how I've created you. 
But if you and I say, I'm choosing Jesus every single day. I love him. He's my savior. Well, then Jesus says, then you get to live with me forever. But here's what's interesting. Jesus has opened the door to heaven for everyone. All we have to do is believe. That's it. Heaven's not closed to anyone. It's wide open. Jesus is not judging. We judge ourselves by our decision. So if somebody tells you that, I, I can't serve a God that sends people to hell, quickly take them to John 3.16. God's not sending people to hell. We do that ourselves. Also in John 3, Jesus talks about three, believing three things in particular. And let me just look at these three things because they're important as well. The first, we must believe in Jesus. We must believe Jesus is God. We believe he's the creator of the universe who left his throne in heaven, came to earth to prove his unconditional love and amazing grace by dying on a cross and coming back to life. We believe in the teachings of Jesus that we read and study in the New Testament. We believe Jesus is alive in our hearts today and nothing can take him away from us. We believe the church are his people living in community together to glorify God, to live in the spirit and to show the world what it means to live in the salvation of God through Jesus Christ. So we must believe in Jesus. The second thing Jesus talked about is we must believe that we must be spiritually born again. This is a big part of the concept of believing. I have to believe that I have to be spiritually born again. Now, Jesus said, every person must be born of water and the spirit to enter heaven. So you must be born physically, which is being born of water. Jesus is referencing the sack of water that we literally live in in our mother's womb and that bursts open upon our physical birth into this world. But to get to heaven, to the next world, we must be born again. And that second birth is a spiritual one. And that second birth happens when we believe in Jesus Christ. When we believe in his death and his resurrection, we are born again spiritually and receive eternal life. When we believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins that sovereign work of our salvation that leads us to heaven. Now, in particular, we believe there's only one person who can give us the spiritual birth. That's what's unique about us as Christians. We only believe that Jesus can do this. That only one person was perfect and able to die for our sin, and that was Jesus. Only one person came back to life after being dead and is still alive, and that's Jesus. Now, there's been lots of great spiritual ideas in our world, but none of them can get us to heaven are just ideas. Jesus is a person. He's not an idea. He's a person. He's God. And he died for our sins. And nothing can stand up against the claims and the actions of Jesus. So we must believe in Jesus. We must believe that we must be spiritually born again. And then the third thing that Jesus puts in here for Nicodemus and that I want us to just focus on for a minute here. We must believe that our spiritual life is more important than our physical life. This relates to how you and I are living today. We believe, and the Bible teaches over and over again, that our spiritual life is more important than our physical life. You will find this threaded through everything in the Old Testament and New. That you and I are called to what? Leave this world behind 
and embrace a life in Christ. We're leaving the physical world and we're embracing the things of the spiritual world and of a spiritual life. So we believe that our spiritual life is more important than our physical life. That the physical life we live today pales in comparison to the spiritual life we will live in heaven with God and the spiritual life that we live now right here on earth filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, because our spiritual life is more important than our physical life, Jesus' followers are trying to live different lives than the world around us. I would say this would be one of the the primary differences between us as a Christian community, as a believers and followers of Christ, and the world. Before you met Jesus, you probably remember this. You lived a, a life wrapped up in the physical world. Your desires, your wants, your needs, uh, you know, what I can get, what I can be a part of, what can bring me pleasure. All of those things are physical things. They're part of the physical world. And our country does it better than anyone else, don't we? I mean, we're really, really good at this. I mean, how many times this week will you hear, you need a new pair of Nikes? You need a new truck. Pastor Mark, you need a new fishing boat. You deserve a new house. These are all physical things that our world is sucking us into because our world, because it doesn't know Christ and doesn't know the advantage of a spiritual life, only has the things of this world to grab onto and to hold onto. And we've all done that and realized what? It falls apart. It literally falls apart in your hands. It's like trying to grab a hold of silly putty. It just doesn't work. It falls out of your hands. It's <coughs> like trying to cup water for three hours. It's like trying to watch the Seahawks win a football game. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> See, we have different sets of standards and lifestyles because our spiritual life is more important than our physical life. Our physical desires have taken a back seat to our spiritual reality. And this is what Jesus is talking about to Nicodemus. Trying to help him understand what it means to have a new set of priorities that Jesus has given and that the Holy Spirit is helping us attain. And so all throughout the New Testament, you'll notice the writers of the New Testament are over and over again trying to get us to understand that concept. That our spiritual life is more important than our physical life. Now let me add one more piece to God's plan to save the world that we don't see in John chapter three, but I believe it's important for us to understand because it's gonna happen. And that is that Jesus is returning. Jesus is returning. The last piece to God's saving work for all of mankind and everything he's created is that Jesus will return. Now, this is his part. <laughs> this is also God's part. Now, let me just point something out here just for a minute. Jesus came from heaven and came here to save us. That's what God did. It was his part. Our part is to believe. And then Jesus is gonna set everything right on our planet and in the universe again when he returns. That's his part. 
Can I just ask in the process, who's doing most of the work? God is. Why is God doing most of the work? Because he loves us. Because his grace is amazing. Because his love is unconditional. And because his peace is so beyond our understanding that he has to do the work for us. We serve such a good God that he's doing all this work for us to be in relationship with us. But Jesus is returning. In Acts chapter one, verse nine to 11, when Jesus left to go back to heaven, the Bible records this moment. It says, after Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. In 1 Thessalonians 4, the Apostle Paul says it like this, verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And then if you need another verse, you could read the entire book of Revelation. Jesus is coming back. That's the final piece to his saving work for mankind. Now, how should we apply this to our life today? The things that we've looked at from John 3. Well, if you don't believe in Jesus as your savior, I, I would encourage you to apply it this way. Don't end today without changing your heart and mind. If you don't know Jesus as your savior, I implore you, believe in him. When you believe in him, you will be set free. You will inherit salvation in Jesus Christ and your life will be new. Number two, if you already believe in Jesus, what needs to change in your life? Jesus said some pretty powerful things for us as believers. What needs to change? Are your top priorities spiritual things or physical things? Maybe you need to adjust some of your priorities. Are you on mission for Jesus? Do you fully trust God's plan to save the world? And are you actively doing your part to see people saved in our generation? These are things as believers that we, we need to apply to our lives. There might be some things we need to work on, some ways that we need to change what's going on in our life. Because God has a plan. Do we trust it? When we believe in Jesus, there will be meaningful change because this is God's plan to save our lives and the world. Would you stand with me? I just want us to take a minute to respond to God's word. And so would you just bow your head with me?
And I trust right now that the Holy Spirit is speaking some things to each of us about how we can just respond to God's word today. And that the Holy Spirit is speaking to each of us about an area of our life that needs to come into alignment with the fullness and the maturity that God has for us. But there also might be someone in this room or maybe someone watching online or maybe you'll watch in a couple days and you have not made that, that decision yet to believe in Jesus. To understand who Jesus is, that he, he is God and he left heaven and came to earth for you. That he died on a cross and he rose again so that you could be saved, so that you could be born again spiritually. He loves you deeply. He wants what's best for you. And that's why he came. And so if you're out of place or you just want to say right now, today, I need to believe in Jesus. That's exactly what I need to do. I'm just going to ask you to to make a physical gesture to let God know that's what you're saying. That's what you're thinking. I want to believe in Jesus as my Savior. If that's how you feel this morning, you want to make that step to say, I believe in Jesus. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. And if you're watching online, you can raise your hand online. God can see your hand right there. You can say, I, I want to believe in Jesus for the first time. I've never done that before. I've never trusted Jesus, and I need to believe in him today. I'm just going to pause for a minute and let us think about that. And then I want us to think about this question too. Are your top priorities spiritual things that Jesus wants for you or physical things that the world is pulling you into? It's a good question for us in light of these verses. And so if you're here and you're just, you just want to say, Jesus, I need to refocus some things. I need to make you the priority. I need to make my, my relationship with you my number one priority. And the spiritual things that you have told us about in your word, my number one priority. If that's where you're at and you just want to acknowledge that and say it for yourself and for God to see and to just start that process of the Holy Spirit working some change in you, just, just raise your hand where you're at. Just say, I want to change that. I want to change from making some spiritual priorities in my life. Thank you. See hands going up. See your hand. It's good. I'm just going to pray for us. Jesus, we thank you so much. We thank you that you left heaven and you came here. We thank you that when we believe in you, we are born again. And I trust that those that have raised their hand, that you've, you've made that decision. But along our path of life, it's so easy, especially here, to get distracted from what's the most important thing. 
Jesus. So Lord, those that raise their hand, I, I just want to pray for them right now. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to them this week in some real powerful ways, some very clear ways that they can hear and understand. Help them to read some verses and to, to hear from you the changes that you want to make in them, the priorities that need to get shifted and changed, things that need to move up the list of priorities and things that need to move down. Lord, would you be there with them while they're making those decisions? They've raised their hand to say, that's, that's where I'm at. That's what I want to do. I want to make Jesus more of a priority. So Lord, we pray that you would be with them in the middle of that. Give them strength and courage and all of the power of heaven behind them to make those changes. We give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Did anybody notice <clears throat> the grave mistake that I made at church last week? Several people did and talked to me about it. So I need to apologize. Last week, for the first time in 17 years, I forgot to tell you something. <laughs> I forgot to tell you. Remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week.